Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. My name is Manuel Feit and pretty much as always, I'm joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how is it going? I'm doing very well. Just thoroughly enjoyed a bonkers football match uh, on Sunday in the, in, the, in the Bundesliga. And yeah, it's been a pretty hectic couple of days for me. I picked up a new dog, which turned into looking like something closer to some sort of bear cub uh she's a beautiful muriatic romanian shepherd dog who just for listeners at home she probably weighs about 35 kilograms and i thought she's going to be about half that so that was a lovely surprise but she's a big angel so it's been a very eventful day in the binkowski household or eventful week in the binkowski household but fortunately we've been able to uh get over it with some fantastic Bundesliga football and another fantastic weekend yeah, I you know, you told me they use those bears to fight like those dogs to fight off bears in Romania. Um, <laughs> sounds like something I need around here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, like she she's huge. Like there's no there's no getting away from it. She's absolutely humongous, and she's not really quite. She's still kind of a puppy, so she's not even aware that she's a big pup. But she's 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 also just a big cloud of fluff. So she's great fun to cuddle as well. So, uh, but she certainly doesn't have the temperament of an animal bred to fight bears so that's that's the key thing she's a big baby so that's good and 35 kilogram puppy um <laughs> she's, yeah <laughs> she, 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 she's big she's basically the nicholas sula of uh of puppies you know she's this huge thing but probably quite kind in heart <laughs> incredible stuff you know what <laughs> i thought was incredible um speaking about incredible um let's jump into the football shall we that was hoffenheim you know and that's a club we haven't really talk much at all about this season and um, they opened their Friday night game against Köln and yeah they were impressive Stefan what did you make of that result yeah I must admit I wasn't expecting it um, you know Hoffenheim are I mean like in a bit even with, with, all, with all due respect they're obviously not a team who attract a huge amount of eyeballs in the Bundesliga because they're not a traditional club with a huge fan base their form has been kind of back and forth. Um, you know, after eight games, they've won three and lost three, two more draws as well. Um, and Cologne have, you know, for the most part, actually looked pretty solid this season. They haven't exactly blown teams away, but they've looked far more composed. Um, you know, that's why they're kind of hovering outside the European places rather than fighting relegation. But this is just kind of what Hoffenheim can do. It strikes me as though they just kind of have this ability to just kind of turn things on when they want to. Kramerich is obviously the one player who stands out to me. He had an outstanding season last year, even though Hoffenheim and themselves weren't great themselves, but uh, he's kind of continuing on. Interestingly enough, he's kind of playing a different role, I find. Last season, he was more of a goal scorer. This season, he seems to be more of a playmaker. Uh, he's already got six assists and a goal in his first eight games. Um, really strikes me as a player who's kind of consistently kind of, maybe not overlooked, but, you know, he's, he's who this team's kind of based around. Um, but, they're not they're by no means a bad team um, and they're kind of sneaking in there but you know 
oh, this is just cologne for you though, isn't it? They, sometimes they're just outstanding. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And then obviously they've got the Derby against Leverkusen coming up next weekend. So it'll be interesting to see what teams show up. They're almost like a kind of Jekyll and Hyde side, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, there was a lot of talk about of, ahead of the match about Kramaric and uh, his lack of goal scoring. But you say it. I mean, six assists. And from I, I thought personally that he was the man of the match um, against Köln. Um, he was so dangerous at, at any moment during the game. And yes, I mean, as a striker, you, you expect him to score the goals. But, you know, if you can create goals like he did, and I think he was involved, um, he, was, he got two assists, but he was involved in actually three goals directly, right? Mm-hmm. And um, his movement just, his movement just looked very good. Uh, that's what I thought was was really impressive about his play. It was just, it wasn't just the fact. Yes, okay, he again he didn't score any goals, but I mean, if you perform that way and you are a key player in in a five nil victory, uh, it's hard to criticize that. So it's yeah, outstanding performance by Hoffenheim, outstanding performance by Kramaric. I think Köln, uh, and we're going to talk about. Their rivals Leverkusen further down the podcast, so please stay tuned. But they lose 5-0. Leverkusen lose 5-0. It's going to make for an interesting derby next week because, of course, they both have to make up for what has been devastating results. But um, I want to move, before we kind of take a look around the league a little bit, I want to move to some of the things that's, that, that's, that stood out for me this week, right? And um there was a lot of talk about Stuttgart and, of course, Stuttgart with, with the American coach Pellegrino Matarazzo. Mm. It's been rough, man. So many COVID cases. Um, I think the the fact that none of the ser- cases are serious show you go go go, go out there, get vaccinated, mm. um, get your shots. But, um, of course, all these players have to go into protocol and they were devastated. I mean, did they even have any players left for this game? And yet they still managed to hold Gladbach in what I thought was actually a very good match overall to a 1-1 draw. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they were maybe quite fortunate with their goal. Uh, you know, Konstantinotis, uh, Mavra, Mavrapanos, sorry, I've, I've just tried to rhyme his whole name off there for some reason, which I've made a mess of it, but his goal was outstanding. Um, and, you know, I actually kind of tuned into this match just after the goal. Uh, and I was like, okay, still got have scored fine. Uh, I'll catch up the goal later on. And I kind of tweeted out saying after Hoffman's goal, I was like, oh my God, what an outstanding goal. And I had a few people saying, hey, what about the Stuttgart goal? And then fair enough, you know, it, it was just as good a goal. Uh, I, I did kind of think that this was a match that Gladbach probably should have won, to be honest with you, if you look at kind of the overall st- chances and their, you know, overall goal attempts. Um, and I think Gladbach would probably, after this match, and even going into it, knowing how many players were out for Stuttgart, they were probably quite upset that they didn't take all three points from it. Um, but Stuttgart, you know, it's, it's, it feels to me like they haven't even really got their season started yet. They got in such a good run of form last season. Uh, you know, they had such a good group of players and then injuries have happened. You know, we can rhyme off, you can maybe put together a whole start 11 of players who, not only just the players who are out with COVID, but even like guys like Kladzic, who was such a huge player for them. Uh, they've obviously lost a few players to transfers in the summer as well. So, it's almost as if even though last season was the one in which they're like, right, we have to avoid relegation and, oh, wow, we've, we're actually doing surprisingly well. It's almost like this season's a transition period for them where they have to really bunker down and make sure they don't 
really hit rock bottom at the table there. Uh, so I think even a draw away to Gladbach is a great result for them. Um, but it, it does kind of feel as though there's a lot of work to be done there. Matarazzo almost has to go back to the drawing board and start again with his squad. Uh, just because there's so much disruption going on. If it's not a COVID outbreak, uh, it's injuries, it's players leaving, you know, it's it's a, it's a club in transition at the moment, but they have a lot of good young players. And as we saw uh, against Gladbach, even without even with two or three players out, they can still kind of bring in players who can do a decent job. Yeah, they're one of the youngest teams in Europe. When you just look at their starting eleven, we we ran a piece on that last week on Transfermarkt. Um, I think they are third um, mm. in Europe when it comes to their starting eleven overall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's Europe's top five leagues. So a lot of very young players, and I mean, it doesn't help when your starting goalkeeper um, goes down with COVID. It doesn't help when one of your defenders, and Waldemar Hartmann, mm. Anton, sorry, goes down. Oral Magangala um, also had COVID. Um, Tommy has COVID. Um, Massimo has COVID. I know, and then that you add Katombo uh, Mavupo. Um, you know, he's he's out with a long-term injury. Uh, Kalajic is out with a long-term injury. So. You know, it's um, hasn't been the easiest starts for Stuttgart and nine points out of eight games and, and 12th on the table. Mm. You know, overall, that's not bad, especially when you just when you look at the team that they played against Gladbach, two points behind them. Mm. And I think we all expected a little bit more from them. So I, I think that's a, that's an OK start mm-hmm. considering all the obstacles that were thrown their way um but that's for me it wasn't the only surprise i mean there was a few freiburg on Jon hertha surprised me this week maybe freiburg okay well yeah i mean they took a point off a leipzig side that has been underwhelming mostly all this year hmm. and freiburg have been very good um you know christian streich does christian streich things so maybe we'll take that out a little bit but both the capital teams win um hmm. hertha beat frankfurt 2-1 and I think what was a very important win for them. And then Union 3-0 against Wolfsburg. And um, is this now the time where we say, okay, well, goodbye Wolfsburg to the title race? <laughs> you know, uh, it's interesting the way you kind of framed the, the, those, those results because, uh, I, I mean, I know it's often frowned upon in America because it's, there's, they have different betting laws there. But every weekend I like to put on a coupon and like kind of pick players or pick pick which team will win. And I pick three or four for the Bundesliga. And this mm-hmm. week I picked Freiburg to beat Leipzig and Union to beat Wolfsburg because I was convinced Wolfsburg were going to lose this game because it does seem as though after that defeat to Hoffenheim a few weeks ago, their season has just fallen apart. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we kind of joked a few weeks ago, I think, or maybe I don't even know if it was on the podcast or if it was just in, on WhatsApp that we've been waiting for the right time to talk about how good Wolfsburg have been. And then since then, their season has just fallen apart. Uh, Van Bommel doesn't seem to have a plan B at all um, and yeah that's three defeats on the bounce now uh, I mean against some decent teams but some teams you'd expect them to win uh, to beat rather uh, and similarly you know we spoke we spoke about RB Leipzig's kind of struggles I saw them go to Freiburg and thought that has to be a Freiburg win uh, and I really I was almost quite surprised they didn't win it obviously Leipzig had a penalty so that's, that makes things a little difficult but um so yeah, I, I, I wasn't surprised to see Freiburg and Union picking up points there. Um, Hertha is an interesting result. I don't know what's going on with Frankfurt here. Uh, I haven't obviously, I haven't really properly done a deep dive into their matches this season. I haven't had a look at the stats and things, so I can't say 
anything extremely illuminating for listeners. But, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, just kind of almost bring us back to Stuttgart and talking about the way that, um, you know, how, you know, even if they're not picking up a huge amount of points, it's not the end of the world. I, I must say, I think if you look, if you're one, if you, if you are, if you're wondering which group of fans should be most worried for their club in the Bundesliga this season, aside maybe the bottom three of Bochum, I mean, Bellafield and Greuther I'd say maybe Frankfurt are up there because things do not look great for them right now. Um, you know, pick that, that. I made a joke maybe a few weeks ago about how Hertha Berlin are almost like a great palate cleanser in the Bundesliga because it seems as though whenever a team are in a poor run of form, Hertha come along and just kind of offer up three points and there you go, you can get your season back on the track. Um, but that's that's a difficult one for Frankfurt and they have fallen very far since that, manager, that managerial change in the summer. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they can pull it back together uh, before it's maybe too late for the manager. It's an interesting one, though, that you point that out because, and um, you can you can look at the managerial change they brought in Glasner, of course, from Wolfsburg, right? Mm. Um, losing Hütter to Gladbach, and so we're naming three teams now that haven't really looked that great mm. on this match day, and you almost wonder if like maybe all three teams would be better off if the manager they just still have. Uh, of course, in Gladbach's <laughs> case, that would have been impossible because Rose, of course, went to Dortmund. Mm. Um, we get to talk to them about about them in just a moment, but it makes you think, right? I mean, that these teams do their homework in terms of choosing the right head coach, and I'm I'm not quite sure if they did. I mean, the, the thing is with Glasner, um, obviously they picked up a win against Bayern Munich in in a game where they were very well defensively organized. And I thought, um, yes, I mean, Trapp stood on his head, of course, fair enough. But at the same time, you know, they basically offered the blueprint um, on how to play against Bayern Munich, right? But mm. at the same time, it's not. I'm not sure that the system that they have in place there actually suits um, the way Glasner had this team lined up in Wolfsburg because there is no real number nine at the moment, right? Mm. Um, and at the same time, you look at you look at Gladbach, and what they're missing is is a player who can just hold the ball for them and then have another player who's like more of a traditional number nine, you know, mm-hmm. box player. So it's almost like these two coaches went to clubs that don't suit their style at all. Mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like Gladbach would have been better off to pick Glasner and Frankfurt to hang on to Hütter. But, you know, those, those are the, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. So maybe, um, you know, there was also talk about Leipzig maybe going for Glasner and then, which I think would have also suited him better because of the, his preference of style of play is more closely to that what Nagelsmann likes. And then Marsh maybe going to Frankfurt because his style of play is actually more suited to Frankfurt. It's interesting. I just like, I mean, we're still early. We're only match day eight, but you start thinking about some of these choices that were made in the summer in what was a quickly turning Bundesliga head coach carousel. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm not sure. Like maybe in three or four weeks, it will all look different. But um, yeah, uh, well, it, it does make you think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this is what always happens when managers come in. There is a transition period where things have to new man. You know, new players have to come in with them. Tactics change. But if you're looking at it right now, possibly, predictably, uh, the only ones that have really properly worked out from day one are at Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Uh, now, maybe yeah. you could argue that's because they've kept the same squads and. 
Um, you know, they've got the, the best resources. So Bayern and Dortmund are always going to be first and second. But, you know, I mean, we can maybe, I don't know if now's just a good time to kind of roll straight into the Dortmund game, but yeah, I, I feel like that result against Mainz, now, sure, there was a moment of madness from Cabell, who <laughs> I think I was texting you after the match saying, I was about to tweet, wow, Dortmund were boring and effective. And, you know, the new goalkeeper just characterizes you know, the difference between last season and this season. And then he effectively throws a goal in to give Mainz a, a foothold in the match and a, and a kind of very nervy five minutes before Erling Haaland scores a second goal. But I was supremely impressed with just the way that Dortmund as a, as a team and the formation and the system, everything's clicking you know, uh, they, 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 they look like a well-coached side. They look like a team who know what they're doing. Uh, Marco Rosa's getting the best out of, let's say, squad players who could either go on to become important players or could have quite easily just kind of stumbled by the wayside. You know, I'm talking about Dahoud, Julian Brandt, uh, you know, other players like that. Even, for example, Munir on the right wing or right back. These are kind of average squad players who seem to be playing even better because they've been given specific instructions from the new manager. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's very, I think that kind of match is actually really encouraging for Dortmund. Now, I know, this, I know they're still chasing that um, clean sheet at home uh, and it was a bit tricky for a couple of minutes at the end, but that kind of, that's that's kind of what we've been missing from Dortmund for so long. Uh, you know, it's either feast or famine with Dortmund when it comes to form, but that seemed like a performance where it's like they just comprehensively dominated a Mainz side who now I know there are three games on the run without a win, but it's a Mainz team who know what they're doing. And I know they don't really have, they're not really a team of stars, but they're a very well drilled side who can cause problems. And I thought Dortmund really dominated them really well. Key players played exactly how they're supposed to play and the tactics worked off really well. And, I was just really impressed with Dortmund. And I think, you know, going bring it back to the discussion about the managerial carousel this summer, Marco Rosa has come in there and he's just hit the ground running with his tactics, with his formations, because, you know, he's changed the formation. He's completely changed the way the team play. He lost Erling Haaland for three or four games and he still managed to just about make it work uh, for the most part. So, yeah, you know, I would say, unlike what's happening at Frankfurt or Wolfsburg or wherever else, Rosa seems to have really clicked into gear with Dortmund very quickly. Yeah, and I would go along with that because there were some people that were doubling that, right? And I do think that Dortmund actually picked up the right coach because his character also really fits to the city and, um, you know, his charisma as well. And I think that's something that's been lacking for quite some time. But the one important factor, and you mentioned it, they also look good without Haaland. Mm. Um, the way Marco, Ro Marco Reus has been playing, not just for Dortmund, but also for Germany. You know, that's that's one other thing that I noticed that his form is very different. He um, he's almost plays like with a freedom of confidence that haven't we haven't seen in a long time, mm. whether it is for Rose or for Flick. And um, I thought it was quite telling that Reus, for example, chose not to go to the Euros, probably knowing the disaster it would be under Joachim Löw. Mm. And um, then opting to come back once you know he has he has a he, knowing he has a manager who banks on him mm -hmm. and Flick obviously does as does Rose now and Royce in my opinion has been almost more influential than Haaland and 
you saw it, especially in that stretch where Haaland wasn't there. He's, I mean, he is their, probably their most important player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only player who's challenging that, again, I'm not going to mention Haaland. And don't get me wrong, I think Haaland is spectacular. You know, he's he's a two-goal machine every game um, when he plays for Dortmund, because, of course, he doesn't do that when he plays for Norway, right? And this is, I think, something that people have to remember. Um, as good as he is, he's, it's still a team sport. Um, is Bellingham. You know, we all marvel about that that goal that Haaland scores to make it 3-1. But the t- truth of the matter is Bellingham sets that up mm-hmm. and finds him in a space and wins the ball, first of all, in a space where Dortmund have all of a sudden a two-on-one situation, right? Um, I mean, Haaland doesn't win that ball. Haaland is in the right place where he's where the number nine is supposed to be, but it's Bellingham who, who picks him out and makes it happen. And um, there's another player who I thought has been tremendously influential for this team uh, at a very, very young age is taking on a role that is very important for this club and in some ways has actually filled the creative void that has been left by Jaden Sancho. Not in the same way that Jaden Sancho has done, right? But mm. nonetheless, in, you know, he's picking up those assists that would have been otherwise missing, as does Mounier. And I think that's actually really, I think that's where Rosa has been really really strong that he's brought out the best out of all these other players yeah um because they didn't sign a one one for one replacement for sancho in the summer mm. um they brought in other players and we're hoping that the collective is sort of feathering it and it, it, that's exactly what's been happening i i think they have been outstanding and yeah um you know and the other thing that i really found striking um it was it was in, in the champions league um you know where they went down, where they were up 2-0. And then um, despite score, getting scored on late, they still saw it out without any problems. And this game too, I mean, at one point they had 80% possession until it sort of dropped off a little bit because they kind of take the foot off the pedal a little bit like Bayern do, right? When they mm-hmm. know that the result is secured. And the moment Mainz got back in, under Favre, or it, this would have been an issue, but they just bring, they just score another one. And even in the games, you know, against Union or against Leverkusen, they always find a way to just score another goal. They can kind of score themselves out of problems. And um, yeah, 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 the way I see them now. Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's interesting you mentioned Bellingham and Brand and things. And I was actually speaking to someone at the club after the game. And I was tra- I was talking about you know I was just lathering on praise saying you know it's just so impressive that the system already is in place the formations in place the players are buying into it uh, and he kind of pushed back a little bit it was maybe maybe, maybe some false modesty but he says look we, he's like, I don't think we're really quite there yet where you know they're they're not quite at the end game yet where the players know exactly what they're doing and when to do it so he's like, we're still in that transition period where the players are still learning how to play. The system, but he's, what he said was the key thing is that the, the, the atmosphere in the change room is fantastic. You know, he's like the players all buy into it; they're all playing for each other. It, it has there's, there's there's like a genuine kind of com- camaraderie in the change room, and I think that's evident when you look when you watch the Dortmund game. Though, you know, before the game against Mainz, you see Erling Haaland and Jude Bellingham chest bump each other. You know, these guys are so pumped for this match. Got Marco Royce, who's obviously a club legend, basically at this point. He's kind of he's almost like the elder statesman statesman in this team, and he's just kind of like carefully, just kind of uh almost like you know, shifting these this kind of young, talented team around to play the, to their best. Um and there just seems to be a really, really good kind of 
atmosphere about this team. Now, maybe that changes if they do go on a run of poor form. Maybe that changes if they get thumped off Bayern Munich at some point. But the, the interesting thing, and I think this is maybe the huge, the main difference between Rosa and Lucien Favre, you could clearly see which players in this Dortmund team that Favre didn't rate. And you could clearly see that they weren't included in... I mean, maybe not included. That's I don't I don't want to make any suggestions that he excluded players or banished players or anything like that. I just mean that he had his favourites and he had players that maybe he didn't rate or, and, and, and as a result, they didn't play well for him. And I'm struggling to think of a Dortmund player in this team who doesn't look like they're trying. The only one who I think has been a bit of a disappointment is actually Daniel Malm. And that's because yeah. he just simply isn't providing the goals and assists that he needs to justify his, justify his position. But... He's a bit unlucky in the sense that he's basically, because Dortmund have changed their formation, they don't really play for a winger. I know he's not really a winger, but he's basically been asked to maybe play as a number 10 when Royce wants to take a step out or maybe Erling Haaland has to step out. So he's basically been, his, his, he's been compared to possibly Dortmund's two best players this season. Uh, but I think Dortmund have been lucky in the sense that Royce looks back to his best. I think Julian Brandt, as you say, I think he's, Rosa's managed to get him back to looking like his, his old self, maybe Leverkusen form. Um, and obviously Jude Bellingham is just a monster in the middle of the park there so I think the key thing is that the players are buying into the formation and the team the team just looked good and on a weekend when Bayern did completely destroy a potential title challenger uh, I think Dortmund looked really good and they really looked like they could go the distance this season Yeah I, I think so too and I think it's actually kind of telling that we talk about some players that haven't even found their form yet or in Giovanni Reina's case is out injured right so um i think there is they haven't quite hit their ceiling yet and i <laughs> we have to talk about the elephant in the room um i think it will be interesting to see where are, where their ceiling is considering what bayern munich did mm. and what was built a top spiel the top game of the match day um you know we talked it up two weeks ago before the international break um, I mean, in fairness, we were also saying this was going to be the benchmark for Bayer Leverkusen to see whether they are for real or not. So here we are recording on a Sunday, 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes after the game, we started recording this podcast. And um, the final result was 5-1. There was four goals scored between the 30th and the 37th minute for Bayern Munich. You know, they did all get their opener in the third minute through Lewandowski. Um, there was a period between that first goal and Bayern's onslaught, seven-minute trashing of Leverkusen, where Leverkusen maybe thought they had a chance. Mm. And we look back now at this game, and I think that there was so much wrong with this Leverkusen side that I don't even know where to exactly start. I think the one thing that stood out to me the most, and it was brought up by Dan O'Hagan during the, during the match, during his match commentary, that Leverkusen went into this game have, having conceded five goals fewer than the XG suggests. Now, again, XG, take it with a grain of salt. I actually did an article for Forbes with um, the Bundesliga um Bundesliga's uh, stats provider AWS right so mm -hmm. I learned a little bit more about it and I thought that was quite intriguing but you know you still like you have to take it into context and I think in this case XG is quite telling because it tells you um something over the context of a long period of time right 
And in this case, it tells you that Leverkusen have been overperforming their defensive ability. And I think that was telling because Bayern Munich, they realized that Leverkusen young defensive core struggles playing out of the back. Mm. They realized that they don't necessarily have a weapon for when their opponent crowds the box. And they realized that they're having a very hard, hard time um, defensively crowding their own defensive areas. And it was remarkable how clinical Bayern were spotting those mistakes, being aware of the mistakes that could happen and, um, you know, just using those mistakes to score goals and bunches. The 15 to 1 goal scoring change, chances in the first half alone for Bayern, in Bayern Munich's favor. Mm. You know, and I think that's, that's a big lesson here. We spoke about this earlier. You know, if you play 4 2 3 1 against this Bayern Munich side and you're not defensively aware, they will destroy you. And that's yeah. exactly what they did. And I think when you take the blueprint, I think we now know what the blueprint is, isn't it? It's, it's more playing with three center backs and with two wing backs and trying to keep them away from those dangerous areas. Don't let them crowd the box. Or, or how did you see this game, Stefan? No, I totally agree with you, to be honest with you. I mean, obviously, I was really excited for this match. Uh, and it was, I, I did think, obviously, you know, Bayern have so many match winners in this team that they can really win a game like this from almost from nothing at any point. We've seen Lewandowski do this countless times and obviously we saw him do it about four or five minutes into this match with a tremendous finish. But I did think if, if Leverkusen get the system correct and they defend well and they get their attacking players in one-on-one positions against this Bayern team, they could really hurt them. You know, we saw Frankfurt do this to great effect uh, with Kostic up against Meccano. Uh We've seen Dortmund do it as well, where when they get into positions and their attacking players are on one-on-one, they can they can get the better of Barnes defenders. And I thought, you know, Leverkusen may not be the perfect team, but they know exactly how to attack and they know how to attack well. Problem is that there was just no foundation in this team to then build on and attack properly. Leverkusen kind of overwhelmed Bayern for the first, well, I'd say for the five, I'd say maybe for the five or 10 minute spell after Bayern scored. But I think once Bayern Munich kind of got the the measure of how this game was playing, they realized that they could quite calmly and confidently simply pass the ball through this Leverkusen team. It was, it was, it was, it really was such a naive tactical game from Leverkusen. Uh, you know, I missed, I, I know they're missing key kind of central midfielders. Uh, Charles Arangues is probably the, the obvious one here. Yeah. But, I mean, Amiri and Demirabe in the middle of the pitch were just horrendous. They were absolutely horrendous in terms of trying to, um, you know, to, 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 to stop Bayern's counterattacks. I mean, this Bayern team, I'm, I'm really not exaggerating when I say they were just lining up to take shots from the edge of the box because they had so much space. And I thought it was quite interesting. If you kind of look at the... Um, Bayern Munich's average positions uh, when they don't have the well when they don't have the ball it's a wee bit different but when they did have the ball they were basically playing with a 3-4-3 Nicolas Sula who started technically as a right back kind of slotted in as a third central defender which meant Davies and Gnabry could basically play as the wingers uh, and then what that meant was Leroy Sané Thomas Muller and then Goretzka to an extent were able to just basically push up into that kind of central number 10 position so you had three outstanding players uh, an attacking sense for Bayern 
who should have been marked by Leverkusen's defence midfielders, except Leverkusen didn't have any defence midfielders. And they only had two central defenders who were obviously running around the pitch trying to figure out where Lewandowski was. So the tactics were well off. And, and I mean, to be fair, Leverkusen did change in the second half. They bought, brought Tapsoba on, they took Paulinho off, and they, they went to three central defenders. And they looked much better in the second half, albeit Leverkusen, uh, Bayern probably took their foot off the gas by that point. But I, I just don't understand how, if you're the Leverkusen head coach, how do you go into this match without any, cent- any, any proper defensive midfielders? And if you don't have any proper defensive midfielders, you change your tactics. You bring in a central defender. You you do something because you're playing Bayern Munich. And to just and for Leverkusen just to go into this game and think, we'll see how we go on. We'll, we'll we'll see if we can score a couple of goals. We'll see we we'll see if we can, you know, upset Bayern. It just seemed so naive to me, and it really did underline the huge gulf between Leverkusen and Bayern Munich, in my opinion. And it showed that you know even though Leverkusen had a good start to the season, they're nowhere near a team that can challenge for the Bundesliga this season. I think that was made abundantly clear. Yeah, not with the midfield that they have. I think that, you know, Bayern Munich are not going to, the, going to be the only team that's going to challenge them with two powerful midfielders um, like they have with Goretzka and Kimmich. You know, of course, that's probably the best central midfield pairing in the world at the moment, in mm. fairness. You know, you're not going to get any better than that. It's actually kind of scary um, that the, the the chemistry that those two players have developed. And I think there is, you know, some clubs might have a central midfielder that's better than either Kimmich and Goretzka, but no club in the world has two of them together. Mm. And so if you do not counter that, and Amiri and Demibai are defensively very light, um, you know, they're both more playmakers, attacking players than defensively aware central midfielders, you're going to get smashed around. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm with you. You just have to change your tactics at this point. You have to crowd your defensive core. You have to go maybe with three in the back, with two wing backs, just to compensate for the fact that you don't have real central central midfielders in your in your lineup. And, um, you know, not just hope for the best and um, trying to hit Bayern Munich attacking-wise. Because if you're trying to play with them, and it doesn't matter if you're Leverkusen, Barcelona, or Chelsea, or Tottenham, because all these teams have experienced this in the past. Mm-hmm. You get smashed around. And I think that's exactly what happened here. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a few lessons here for Leverkusen. The first one is that if they, I think they need to strengthen their midfield core mm-hmm. quite significantly. Um, I know it is, it's a little going to be a little bit different once, um, once Palacios comes back and, you know, um, a few injured players come back, but yeah, at this point, phew, yeah, that's they're not close. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone is going to be close other than Dortmund this year. I think yeah. that's always going to be the discussion. Are we going to just have Bayern march away again with it, you know, and just easily win the tenth title? And that's a, I think a lot of people will have looked at this game in particular and say that. And, um, you know, it's really hard to find arguments against them. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I was speaking to someone at the club about, you know, uh, Florian Verts and, you know, the links he's been getting to Bayern Munich, etc. And they said, look, we're not going to sell him in the next couple of years because they genuinely feel like they've put together a really good squad on paper. You know, uh, there was obviously some frustration that that couldn't be put into practice last season. They've, they've continued to invest quite a lot of money this summer as well. 
and I think at Leverkusen, they genuinely think they have a squad that should be challenging for something special this season or in the next couple of years. That's not to say that people at Leverkusen are expecting a, the team to challenge for the for the Bundesliga, but you know maybe something like a get to a Pokal final, do something in the Europa League, uh, you know mm-hmm. things like that. They, they they really think they have this talent, a squad that's got enough talent in it to really do something beyond what we expect from Leverkusen to an extent, uh, because eventually there are so many talented young players in this team that it, they will all move on. And Leverkusen are well aware of that, and they're obviously one of the best in the in the, in the mark in the uh, business when it comes to selling players at best prices, bringing in new players for placement, et cetera, et cetera. So they're, they're usually very switched on and thinking two or three steps ahead when it comes to the transfer window. But it would just be interesting to see how they react to this because last season we had a kind of similar setup where we had Leverkusen really hit, get out of the, out of the uh, you know, hit the ground running, really strong start to the league campaign. And then different circumstances when they played Bayern, they did really well to go toe-to-toe with them. They lose a last-minute goal uh, I think it was a Jonathan Tat on goal. And then after that, the season just fell apart. Um, they have to make sure that doesn't happen again this season because, you know, it's all well and good as, as Bundesliga fans saying, oh, you know, it'd be great if Leverkusen and Gladbach and whoever else can challenge Bayern the way that Dortmund tried. But in the real world, Leverkusen don't really have to beat Bayern Munich to get to where they want to be. Leverkusen obviously want to finish in the top four. They want to challenge in the German Cup. They want to they really want to get far in European competition as well because they realize that's where they can make money. Um, and for the most part, they don't really have to be in, in the two or three games they play Bayern Munich every season. They don't actually have to win those to get to, 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 to basically get to where they want to. So on paper, this result doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, I guess that's what I'm trying to say here. I know it's not maybe what we should be saying, yeah. but it, it, it doesn't matter. And the players and, you know, the coaches and stuff, they have to basically make sure that, they know that because you could tell this matter. Florian Verts came off the pitch. Uh, he was substituted off, and he was furious. You know, he's kicking things around in the in the in the. In the but that's the, good. It is, I, I would actually say that's good. Absolutely, absolutely. But Leverkusen have to make sure this doesn't mean they go on a run of five or six games yes. without a win, and then drop out of the chat of the Europa League by some I think, terrible position or something. I think you have to move on, but you also have to take this as a lesson at the same time. You know, I remember when Borussia Dortmund, uh, when Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp first took over Borussia Dortmund mm. in their first season, and they were smashed 5-0 by Bayern. And that never happened again, mm. um, you know, until after, after, until after Dortmund won those two titles. And then, of course, Bayern um, bought all the best players in a nutshell. But <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Mm. It's, I, I think there is an important lesson here. But you're absolutely right that you have to move on because in the end of the day, it's just three points. And if the lesson is here is to not let this happen again, and when they go in the spring to Bayern to not lose 5-0, then mm-hmm. that's a good lesson. Yeah. You know, and I think, or oh, 5-1, sorry, they did actually score a goal. But you know what I mean, right? I think you need to move on, but you also need to learn. And this this goes not just for the players, and I'm glad Florian Wirtz was upset, but also Sioana, because he's like, you know, obviously he's learned that being young boys burned playing against Basel is a bit different than being Bayer Leverkusen playing against Bayern Munich. So <laughs> I think there's an, there was an important lesson there as well, that you just can't hope for the best. You have to be prepared do, and you have to be ready. Do, so. you, do, do you think that is maybe 
what this result came down to. Do you think that came down to him almost naively thinking, well, my team have done well. Uh, you know, they went toe to toe with Dortmund and they almost took a point. So our best, our, we, I'm just going to leave things as they are. And do you think that came yeah. down to maybe a lack of experience of playing against Bayern Munich and that lack of, if you give Bayern Munich an inch in these games, they will take a mile. If they can smell blood, they will destroy you. You know, yeah, the, the teams that we've seen take points off Bayern Munich this season are the teams who have just completely left their tactics and the way that they play every other match of every other game in the season. They've forgotten that for one game and they've decided, look, we're going to play ultra defensive and we're going to try and frustrate Bayern, as much, Bayern Munich as much as we can. That's how you take points off Bayern Munich. Unless maybe, the only team that can maybe play their own game and beat Bayern this season, I think, are Dortmund because they have the genuine star power to do it. But Leverkusen, to me, and it felt like that with, I felt like the manager who doesn't have experience in the Bundesliga that maybe others do, it felt like he thought we can do that. And that seemed to me like a huge lack of experience on his part. I think they could have played their game if they had Aranguiz and um, Palacios available to them rather than Amiri and Demibai mm. in midfield. Then it would have worked because then you can bully back. Um, you need to bully Bayern. You need to hurt them. And they didn't hurt them today. They, they, they did nothing. You know, there was n- they, they relied on their own technical uh, and footballing abilities and um, when you rely on that against Bayern Munich there's maybe one or two teams in the world that can do that mm. and probably still lose <laughs> <laughs> you know and then that just means there's a 50-50 chance so I, 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 I agree with you um, you know it really comes down to that and it's going to be interesting to see I mean there is a blueprint out there to beat Bayern it, it, it exists and it will be interesting to see where the teams like Leverkusen have learned that that's the only blueprint that you can use. Yeah. And, you know, that's the only way you can beat them or whether there will be another club out there that will say, no, we can play our football and still beat them. And I think, you know, the season is still young and it's going to be interesting to follow. Yeah. yeah. Um, final topic for today, Stefan, and I want to move this on. The season is still young. Um, it feels like the last transfer window has just closed, but... We need to talk about this because this is involving several Bundesliga teams now. Um, Karim Adeyemi, you know, those who don't know him yet, Karim Adeyemi, of course, is a German national team player. He's the first German national team player to play for an Austrian club since World War II. You know, it's been a long time. And I think the last German national team player to play for an Austrian club um, was actually someone who played for Austria, played played in the German Reich because Austria was actually next by, by Germany. So this is how far you have to go back. Uh, he's a fantastic talent, 19 years old, uh, has scored eight goals in 10 Austrian Bundesliga games, 11 goals in 16 games across all competitions. I, I was lucky enough to see him live. Uh, we also reported, of course, as have many other German outlets on Transfermarkt that, you know, that, he has been in talks with Borussia Dortmund. Barcelona and Liverpool are, of course, scouting him. Um, I, my understanding now that my understanding now is that Adigemi's next move will be to Germany, and I guess Bayern Munich are in for him. Uh, they want to sign him in the winter and then loan him back to Salzburg. There were negotiations this week. You know, the agent was at the Sevener Straße to speak to Hassan Salihamidzic. 
Uh, but Borussia Dortmund are still very much in the running as well. I guess Leipzig are in the running as well too because of their link to Salzburg. But when you look at this player, um, Stefan, I personally think a move to the Bundesliga is next. I think the question is, is it going to be a final move to the Bundesliga? Because if he goes to Bayern, that's probably it. Or will he go to Dortmund first and do an in-between step? Um, <laughs> you know, as much as I hate saying this, because Dortmund are still in a position where they are an in-between step. I, I personally think he'd probably be better off at Dortmund. But mm. can you say no to Bayern Munich? I think you can say no to Bayern Munich for two reasons. One, he was at Bayern Munich beforehand and yes. le left as a youth player um, for one reason or another. So he might feel personally that, you know, they had their chance and uh, he had to almost kind of move. I know he kind of moved to a German club before he ended up in Salzburg. So, you know, they might feel as though he's, he might feel as though, you know, too bad you guys had your chance. But then also on the flip side, he might feel that, He, feel, he may feel extremely determined to go back there and prove that he was good enough from that age to now to, you know, be a good enough to be a Bayern player. I also think the big issue here is the fact that Lewandowski is still a Bayern Munich player. Uh, and I honestly just don't see that changing anytime soon. I know week to week there are stories about going to Manchester City or Real Madrid or wherever else, but I would be so, so surprised if he ever left Bayern Uh, before his contract ended in 2023. And even then, I'm not entirely sure he would move to another big club after that. He may even stay at Bayern and then become one of these kind of club legends who just kind of evolves into more of an administrative role. Because uh, he has he has spoke about maybe his interest in coaching after uh, he retires. So that's interesting. But And, then, and this is kind of where the kind of Haaland to, to Bayern transfer rumors do kind of fall down because there's no way that in my opinion, I don't think Lewandowski is leaving Bayern, so that means Haaland doesn't go to Bayern. And in, in the same in the same way, I just can't really see Adeyemi moving to Bayern while Lewandowski is still there because the thing about Lewandowski is that he's such a phenomenon physically, he just doesn't get injured. Uh, and that means he also just never drops out of games. He never takes games off. He never he never sits out Pokal matches, etc. You know, Chupa Moting is the perfect substitute because he's quite happy to sit with his feet up 90% of the, of the season. Uh, I don't think a young, ambitious player like Adeyemi is willing to do that unless he knows something, unless Bayern have told him something about Lewandowski's future. Uh, I don't think it'd be a good move for him at all. And I think a club like Dortmund or a club like RB Leipzig uh, would be a much better move for him because he will get game time. Maybe not so much Leipzig because they've now got about five strikers in that team. Uh, and not, none of them really seem to know whether they're coming or going. So I'd maybe want to wait and see how things work out with Jesse Marsh and uh, what strikers are he plans on keeping at the club because there's a lot of competition for those forward spots there. But at Dortmund, you know, this, you can you can see a very clear plan and why they might need a player like that very soon. If Haaland does leave next summer, they will need another striker. I don't envy him. Uh, if he decides to be the man to replace Haaland at Dortmund. Um, but yeah. at the very least, he'll get plenty of game time. And he'll be at a club that, unlike just about any team in Europe, he knows he'll get time to develop. And like we've seen countless times, Dortmund are very good at developing young players. So uh, I think, you know, he's he's, be, he's also been linked with moves to, Lever uh, Leverkusen, uh, to Liverpool uh, in the Premier League. And apparently 
talks from that seem to be that he's not interested because he knows he will not get game time above Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. So to the same way, I, I can't imagine going to Bayern Munich for that way. But I've been intrigued what you think about all of it. It, it's a difficult one. Um, I've spoken to some people when I was in Munich, you know, and I've spoken to people in Salzburg. And Adeyemi is an, a fascinating player. It's, it's a very good player. I think he, he, as I said, it's historic that he plays in Austria as a 19-year-old and makes the German national team. Mm. This is how good he is, you know, and... He's not just doing this in Austria. He's doing it in the Champions League at an extremely high level at an extremely young age. You know, he's one of the. He, I mean, he is the next hot prospect out of Austria, out of out of Red Bull, isn't he? Mm. Um, a club that just seems to do this every single year, um, bring out these players. And at the same time, I know that Adiemi isn't not he himself, but his camp isn't always the easiest to deal with. Um, the move away from Bayern Munich back in the day um, that wasn't on him that was on the youth coach similar to what happened to Royce when he left from Dortmund right and then via Arlen and then came back via Gladbach so there is a little bit of a link there um, I do think that Adiemi would also be comfortable to play the Kingsley Coman role until he ages into a center forward role at a bigger club and I think that's where Bayern. I think that's where Bayern see him at the moment. That they say, okay, like, look, there might not be a role as a center forward for you right away, but we're probably going to sell Kingsley Coman soon because you know he's just one injury after another, mm-hmm. and there's a market for him there. So I think that's where they see him as a replacement. And I think again, it comes down to the fact it comes down on whether um, Adiemi and his agent Solomon see that as the next vital step or next vital move for him and whether that's going to work out. I think at Borussia Dortmund, he is also in line of a lot of players. You know, they already have Yusufu Mukuku lined up. Um, Daniel Marlin will eventually replace Erling Haaland. Although there is now talk, right, that Erling Haaland could sign a new contract at Borussia Dortmund with the help of Puma. Hmm. and um, you know I, I personally have an opinion about Haaland I think he is going to Real Madrid uh, eventually you know um, but I mean that, who knows with Raiola uh, lots of things can happen with him but um, so there is you know at, at Dortmund he wouldn't play the center forward role right away either if a move happens in the winter so I think he has to really weigh carefully and look at his options and the, all these clubs will probably present him options, right? Mm. These talks that, you know, only because they were talks now doesn't mean the transfers decided. And this is very, very important to know at this moment. These clubs all have still a chance to sign him. I'll, I'll, even though I personally think it's only Dortmund and Bayern now. Mm. I think everyone else is out. Um, I think it's only those two. And then they will present him with the best option for his football development and then he will get to choose Hmm. and imagine being in that position as a 19 year old to be able to choose between Bayern and Dortmund I mean that tells you everything you need to know about Adeyemi as a player that these clubs are both are in a position where they can make him an amazing offer and he's actually the one who gets to choose yeah and we, and, we, so. and we have been in this position before where you would think on paper Bayern would be the most likely destination, but often Dortmund are actually better at attracting these players because A, yeah. they, they can offer them game time that Bayern Munich can, but also they can offer... Boys. 
Yep, exactly. They, they can also offer better terms in terms of the wages because Bayern Munich are usually very strict with who they pay and how much they pay them. They have a very clear hierarchy in their squad uh, and they don't tend to be a club that just kind of entice young players with huge amounts of money. They have they have a degree of, they believe there's a degree of principle behind it. So you do often see Dortmund being more enticing to these clubs. Um, so, But then on the flip side, you know, football has changed now. Bayern Munich can't just sit and wait for a player to develop at Dortmund and then snap them up because in all tr- in all honesty, uh, the Premier League and the money in the Premier League now means that if a player does very well at Dortmund, they're almost immediately priced out of Bayern's uh, bracket. Um, you know, I've, I kind of made this reference a few times and Bayern Munich fans get quite annoyed at me on Twitter when I do so, but Erling Haaland is out of Bayern Munich's bracket in my opinion. Uh, you know, yes. J- Jude, yes. Belli- Jude Bellingham probably will as well uh, when he moves in a couple of seasons. Uh, Gio Reyna, etc., etc. We're now we li- we now live in a world where if you do well enough at Bayern and to be honest, sorry at Dortmund and probably Leverkusen too, because I've having spoke to people at Leverkusen, they don't think Florian Verts will be. They don't think Bayern will be able to afford Florian Verts when they do decide to sell him. Uh, so th- this is the kind of modern world we live in now, where Bayern Munich now have to snoop swoop in for these players at this point that Dortmund do because they no longer can just pick them up once they've had a couple of seasons at Dortmund because they can't compete with the other teams around Europe in that regard. Yeah, I think the only difference now between Bayern and these other teams is that, I think you're right, if you play at Dortmund or Leverkusen and you're in a certain segment, that's it. Mm. You're no longer going to be able to get those players. The only difference is, of course, Bayern keeps the players that they want to keep. Yeah. You know, I have like people tell me, oh, Davis is off to Madrid. And it's like, no, <laughs> Bayern only sell players they want to sell. Yeah. Like they don't, you know, with the same with Alaba. Um, Alaba was in his late 20s when he finally moved on and he moved on a free because Bayern didn't care about the money. So that, I think that's the only difference. If Karim Adeyemi moves to Bayern and he's good enough to play there, he'll never leave. Mm-hmm. That's that's his final destination. Like maybe in his 30s, he will have like go for a new challenge like Alaba did. But, you know, Bayern don't sell. I think that's the only difference at the moment, but you're quite right. I think Dortmund have at least shut down that pipeline to Bayern. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one positive that we've seen over the last couple of seasons that Dortmund have shut down that pipeline to Bayern. And, um, you know, some other teams in Germany are still working on maybe being in that position as well. Maybe one day Dortmund can say the same as Bayern that we don't need to sell anymore. Maybe, you know, like maybe Haaland will be the one where they sign him to a longer term contract and surprise and shock everyone. I personally don't think it's going to happen, but hey, maybe they will do it. And, um, actually emerge as a real title challenger but we'll see I mean this Adeyemi story is intriguing well we'll stay on top of it and uh, I think this is pretty much where we at right now there has been talks of Bayern Munich there will probably be talks of Borussia Dortmund very soon Dortmund have made an offer the player will cost between 30 and 40 million euros either this winter or next summer and he will definitely move to the Bundesliga I think these are the facts that we have at the moment and I think that's probably a good point to leave it Stefan um, before we head off Anything you wanna wanna feature on this week before we we call it a day? Uh, not a huge amount. Just I, was, <laughs> I keep saying I have a newsletter that I put out every Wednesday, but I actually couldn't do it this week because I was spent fifteen hours driving to pick up the dog, which is a great journey, uh, which is great fun. But yeah, I will be back at it this week. Uh, I should also have some other interesting features and in different newspapers and websites. So uh, if you're a fan of the Bundesliga, do give me a follow on Twitter. Uh, and yeah. That's about it, really. Yeah, same for me. Um, I'll be back at the game tonight and then 
hopefully a more normal week next week. But until until next week, that's it from me. You can follow me on Twitter at ManuelWeff and auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.